Put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers podcast. As always, I'm your ever-curious host, Jenny Love. Flowers and, and insects evolve together, and so many of the, the, the larger beneficial insects um, do visit flowers. And, you know, you're because you have such large floral displays, you're attracting a lot of beneficial insects um, that aren't available commercially. So in some ways, they're a little bit ahead of the curve. Today, I'm joined by Margaret Parks from Evergreen Growers Supply. Her official job title there is Director of Operations and Technical Support, which sounds super, super fancy. But basically, from what I could tell with my brief uh, interactions with Margaret, is that she's just a, a big nerd like the rest of us, uh, and she knows her stuff about beneficial insects and basically IPM in general. And for those who don't know what IPM means, it stands for Integrated Pest Management. And I invited Margaret on today so that we could just uh, get a lot more information, hopefully, out of you, Margaret, <laughs> to, to help growers learn how to manage their um, pest issues a little bit more holistically for those that don't know how to do it yet. So welcome, Margaret. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Let's start with a, a very short intro because I always like have people know a little bit about you before they mm -hmm. trust you as their guru and their guide. Uh, tell us uh -oh. how you ended up where you are today with Evergreen uh, Grower Supply. How did you get into the bug world, essentially? I started Evergreen in the shipping department, oh. which was actually really cool because um, like before I interviewed, I was a little nervous because I was like, whoa, everything that they sell, all, every, like all the bugs. Like you are essentially responsible for getting those to the customers alive. Wow. Um, and we are actually really good at this. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I did that for, for a number of years. And then gradually I started learning from the, the founder of Evergreen, John Maurer. That's definitely a great way to get started. All right. So now my big picture question, just to get us going, is are beneficial insects and IPM truly effective in small-scale flower farming because, you know, we're not like the big guys and, and, and we don't have like lots of heated greenhouses and all of that stuff. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they absolutely can do a great job and they can do a better job than insecticides in hmm. all the cases. Um, so there and there, so there are some situations where they work much better and there are some sort of situations where they don't work. If you're using the, the beneficials preventatively, it can be less costly. Um, you know, especially since some of the organic sprays are pricier mm -hmm. and you have to apply them more often. Mm -hmm. um, so even before you get to labor, it might, the labor costs and spray or replacement parts, it, it may actually be cheaper to use the beneficials preventatively. Mm -hmm. The sprays aren't working anymore. So. Okay. And that's okay. A, one of the reasons that the people from all, all crops mm -hmm. want to try beneficials is because they're, they're tired of resistance. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. The more you know, the more insecti insecticides you spray, the more resistance that builds up over time, regardless of whether it's yeah. a chemical or or a, a more natural um, approach to it. So let yeah. me. Yeah, so, and that's actually one of the reasons that, like, one of the biggest arguments for beneficials in my book is like, um, I'm actually not totally anti-pesticide, but mm -hmm. I just think about like I grew up in a in an area of the country where people used to die of malaria, mm -hmm. and I never got it. 
um, in part because of pesticides, which right. had a lot of ecological fallout. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, today we would definitely go about it differently, but um, it also saved a lot of lives. Right. So, and so we can think about pesticides as a tool in the toolbox, but kind of, if you move them further down the list, like towards the bottom, you know, towards a choice of <laughs> lower resi- last resort towards yeah. certain things, especially because there aren't as many active ingredients available for a lot of crops mm. as there are for like corn, wheat, soy, that sort of thing. Okay. But my question mm. is then, once you work hard to start this environment that attracts and uh, proliferates beneficials mm-hmm. in your, you know, in your growing ecosystem, if you spray anything, then don't you just kind of set yourself back? I mean, when do you make that choice where, per, I, I guess it's a personal choice. I'm going to guess, but I do mm-hmm. want your your uh, expert opinion on it. But for me, I think I've just decided to abandon a crop instead of spray something. But is it, do you think it is better to spray something at a certain point? If it's just like, I've tried all the beneficials I have. I have all, you know, I've got the minute pyre bugs. I've got the green lace wings out here. I've got, um, you know, all the different good guys. But now I've got this like Uh insane infestation of, uh, we'll just say spider mites since we keep picking on Uh them. And now I'm going to blast them. Is it? Is it okay to do that, or do you really hurt yourself ultimately? Well, um, I guess the first thing would be like to, to decide, like, okay, if you spray, is it actually going to save the crop? Mm. Um, because if the spider mites have have gotten past the beneficials, and um, you know things happen in life, and one gets behind on the scouting, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and things like overhead watering weren't used to help improve the environment. Uh, for the dahlias then um yeah you'd have to think about like if it is it gonna is it really gonna fix the problem mm-hmm. uh it's one spray is probably not going to kill most of the spider mites a lot of them but not mm-hmm. not enough to make them go away certainly mm-hmm. not forever um so it, it and then it is a personal choice I and mean, I, I definitely know growers who would do it and growers who wouldn't mm-hmm. even if it if they knew it was going to turn it around One of my questions that I had was when we release beneficial insects, do they need to be specific to our region? Like we shouldn't necessarily just be bringing in bugs from anywhere and everywhere. And then also coupled with Uh that is like a concern I just had, which I think you just answered, but that that releasing beneficials could somehow lopside the ecosystem at our farms. Like we could uh, put things out of balance because as regenerative farmers, we're always striving for balance. But if we, if we release 5,000 mites that would not normally be there, did we just screw everything up? (laughs) You know, like what, do we have to worry about that? So there's a a lot of arguments in both columns. The, 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 the biggest one is that they've been here for a while, but For the ones that are commercially available, um, they're reared in insectaries where their health is monitored, so they're not um, bringing diseases to native insect populations. Um, and that is one of the concerns with ladybugs, which are often mild captured and can carry diseases that can affect um, native and other introduced bene- um, beneficial insects. Because there, we think of pests as being introduced, but there are a lot of beneficials that were accidentally introduced as well. Mm. Um, the, I think it's always a good idea to encourage what you already have though. Okay. So not necessarily, um, 
you know, rely only on commercially produced uh, critters, but also uh, encourage the populations you already have. Um, so, and, and especially, um, and it's easiest to maybe start with the ones that aren't available commercially, like surfed flies um, in the U.S. Um, certainly, if you have the little red whirligig mite, the anistis, um, the Canada Canadian growers can get those. We can't get those in the U.S. yet. Um, hopefully, in a few years, the um, uh, some of the beetles that you might see on flowers that are eating aphids, that those aren't commercially available. Um, and aureus, the minute pirate bug. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, um, that one, I mean, I think we tend to notice that one because if we're out in the field in the middle of the day, sometimes those guys get a little feisty. Yeah, and, they are. <laughs> they can they can poke yeah. at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, they kind of taste your arm. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's an easy one to scout for. You okay. just go out when it's yeah. hot and they'll yeah. find you. Um, yeah. And um, so it, you can encourage what you have. And then if you, if you need supplemental releases for those, um, you know, it may not be the same aureus species. So definitely if you have a native aureus that shows up, mm. um, and I've seen large nurseries that are kind of more conventional, uh, ornamental growers who've mm -hmm. had aureus just show up mm. and do a fantastic job on their trips, um, for a rose grower, which is pretty amazing. That is. They didn't release those aureus, but mm. they're, um, they're managing their pests, you know, both um, insect and mite pests and diseases, which diseases are a big problem in roses, mm -hmm. um, you know, keeping in mind that they they need to preserve their beneficials. Right. Uh, and that's worked out really well for them. And I think yeah. it's saved them a lot of money. Okay. And are they, are they, and then also just in general, mm -hmm. are we talking about banker crops here where we're setting up habitat specifically to, so for people that don't, don't know IPM, there's a banker crop concept, which is you kind of create habitat specifically for beneficials just to like, you know, have an on-site insectary for a lack of a better way of putting it. So is that what yeah. was happening at that rose grower or it's just, they're just showing up naturally and they kind of just so settle in. With them, they always had like a, a low number of thrips um, because if, if it has leaves, it's going to have thrips basically, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of just the way it goes for plants. Yeah, you just can't um, live with, I mean, for everybody listening who's fought thrips, it's yeah. like, they're inevitable. You don't, you don't grow anything kind of without, you know, thrips around. <laughs> it's a question of if they're unbearable or not, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you grow it, they will come. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's no about that, no doubt about that. So, and then if a pest shows up, somebody will show up to eat it. Um, it's just a matter of how soon it happens. Mm. You know, if we, um, so yeah, you can have um, an insectary crop and a lot of other people use the term banker to refer to like um, a plant that harbors an alternate pest food for the mm -hmm. predator you want to encourage. Yeah, so just commercially people use, yeah, commercially people use aphid banker plants with a, uh, a grass, one species or the other. Um, and they'll kind of rear those aphids and then rear parasitic wasp on those on those aphids um, to increase the number of wasps mm. that they can that they can yeah. uh, release. And that works well for larger growers, um, but you still have um, weekly shipments of wasps okay. for a while. So it doesn't necessarily get rid of the cost. And often the, the shipping cost is the real okay is the real you know the real burden and cost with beneficials ends up being the shipping okay um, that makes sense so that's something to keep in mind so okay. the um but if you have 
so yeah, you can have the like the floral display type in secondary where you're attract attracting um, beneficials that way. Or if you have um, even a weed uh, that can be selectively managed that mm. has maybe an aphid that only eats that weed. Mm. And a lot of the aphids in the world are picky eaters. Like we think of like green peach aphid, cotton melon aphid, the ones that eat everything. Mm -hmm. But most of most of the aphids in the world are not pests. Um, and a lot of them are really picky eaters. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. The, the the fancy word is monophagous. They eat one thing or they just eat a few oh. things. Um, so if you have a, um, an aphid predator that will eat, it is not such a picky eater. And so, you know, they'll eat the aphids on that weed and then they'll move back into your crop over the course of the year. And cause you, often you see that um, all the aphids don't happen at once. Mm -hmm. Maybe you get some extra early aphids on ranunculus, which it's a mixed bag if beneficials are going to work for those. Okay. Not a lot of great options for cold tunnels, which okay. um, for what it's worth, when I talk to the producers, I do whine about how we need more options for, for cold season aphids. <laughs> Everybody wants something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is a little challenge if you don't have a heated space and then the yeah. the pests come in earlier than it's warm enough for your beneficials to really take hold. But I've I for better or for worse, this probably does not help my bug karma at all. I have in the past released beneficials before I thought it was be gonna be warm enough for them necessarily, but was hoping that they would like like ten of them would survive yeah. and then end Sometimes up breeding the next generation yeah i've, I've seen it's hit yeah. or miss because you know it comes down so much to whether there's like a really cold snap there and like it's usually in march um uh -huh. and if it's a really cold snap then nah, it didn't work but if you have just enough <laughs> you can yeah, get the if, starters if it's in like the mid mid upper 40s sometimes yeah. 50s yeah yeah it can be worth trying the green mice wings or even aphidias mm -hmm. um the, um, you know, the uh, adult aphidias work, they, they live longer, they lay more eggs if they have um, a food source. At least um, one study compared like actual nectar to a 50-50 honey water mixture. Mm. And the honey water mixture actually did a little better. Oh. Um, but but certainly like just throwing in some alyssum um, might be mm. a good way to suppress weeds and yeah. give some food for aphidias. Okay, that's good to know. Alyssum is a great one. And mm -hmm. and then any of those umble plants, right, are really good yeah, for the yeah, beneficials. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, because it's you want a shallow flower that has that has nectar. Um yeah. so it's uh, often they these are not the, the bee habitat flowers. Yeah. Um one of the ones I've found to be good to grow in my unheated uh, high tunnels. So it's an unheated space, but it's a cool season flower that likes to bloom early in the spring is uh, Orlea uh, uh -huh. and Daucus. So both of those are umble flowers, uh, flower and carrot. Um, and so they tend to become a good habitat for the wasps, you know, earlier in the season. And then, then I've got this like booming wasp population as the aphids okay. really settle in. <laughs> and then so I, I was actually talking about these same plants with a oh, yeah? grower earlier Ooh, yeah nice. so i'm gonna um we'll call her back and be like oh 
guess what? I just talked to Jenny about (laughs) (laughs) great minds think alike. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it can help because both of those, like Dacus and Orlea, are not Uh what we would consider high value cut flowers. Like they're good, they're you know they're cut flowers that we all enjoy, but they're not what you would normally put space in a in a high value um, tunnel. You wouldn't you would you would grow ranunculus instead. But if you're going to end up having lots of aphids on your ranunculus. It's it behooves you to put at least you know maybe like you know even 20 square feet of orlea is a wonderful um, a wonderful thing to give up that space so to speak of ranunculus because you'll have much healthier ranunculus overall. So yeah, so so I, I think that's something a lot of people don't think about, but it does work really well. Good. I'm glad that, that I'm glad that you're using that. And yeah, because in the if you can keep the population you already have going, mm-hmm. you have a more, you know, a more um, consistent number of predators around, and the populations of aphids tend to yo-yo less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that because um, if you, you know, if you had the ranunculus and it got loaded with aphids, eventually somebody would show up to eat them all. Yeah. And eventually they would eat them all. Right. The plant is not sellable by the time. Right. I was going to say, you won't have anything to sell, but eventually <laughs> they'll eat them all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, uh, you know, outside, if you give it a couple of weeks, something will usually clean it up. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's not when you need to harvest, but right. you know, usually two weeks is, you know, somebody, uh, somebody will eat it um, by then. Um, one like big picture question for you uh-huh. is, can beneficial insects that you bring in, obviously uh-huh. there's lots of, you know, native um, uh-huh. resident beneficials, but the ones that you would get shipped in from someplace like Evergreen, is uh-huh. it even worth considering them for outdoor growing or are they only oh, yeah, yeah. effective? Okay, so we can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if um, the, a couple of things that come to mind are like if, if you've had issues with spider mites. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. That was a big one this past summer because yeah. it got so hot and dry this past summer. Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 the bad news is they will be there in the spring again. Oh, why, um, Margaret? Why? Just, just lie to me. Just lie to me. Okay. No, don't lie to me. Tell me how to fix it because I've never had yeah. spider mites out in the field. I've had spider mites in tunnels before, but this was like a full-on infestation, like webs and all out in the field to the point where I was like, this is disgusting. So how do we how do we fix that? <laughs> I'm going to do it. So the, the good, there's good news and bad news. I mean, it, the good news is that it's very preventable. Okay. The bad news is once you get to um, the, it's all webbed up stage. Yeah. It's a done deal. Like the, the ship is sailing in the distance. Okay. You know, but um, I can, I can so, steer the ship the second season, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. A, like it's a oh, new, yeah. a new start, right? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. So it, um, there's a critter called Velasis that does a really good job. Um, of it eating spider mites when they're lower density, um, when there's not webbing around, and they prefer pretty mild temperatures. Okay. Um, and these guys are nice because they will establish and they will overwinter, and they start feeding in the spring when it's in the 40s. Um, nice. About when the spider mites wake up, if not a little bit before. Okay. They can eat pollen and and other small food items. Okay. Um, so they do establish. You don't need a lot of them. So if it's like a spider mite prone crop, um, the basic rate, uh, the application rate we use is from strawberries, about okay. 10,000 an acre. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. And that seems to work for just about anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, even uh, arborvita, 
Oh, I know wow. it's not a forest crop, but that, that rate seems to work there as well. Um, the other quarter to think about in conjunction with the, the phalasis is one called stradiolelops. The old name is hypoaspis, and that's soil mite. Can, can and, we back up a second? Can you spell yeah, yeah. both of those? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Go, fire away. The phalasis and then the stratus to whatever it was. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can send you the names too. Okay, and we'll we'll put these in the show notes. But for people listening yeah, who are yeah. like, what is that word exactly? So is it like P H I? You know, like just a general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the Pelasis is actually the specific epithet. So like okay. in Homo sapiens, sapiens is the specific epithet. So Ambesius Pelasis. Okay. F A L L A C I S. Okay, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> And um, and uh, on our website you can um you can just put in phalasis and the insectaries that produce phalasis, um you know or if you're looking for extension documents that talk more okay. about it, you could just type in spider mites phalasis and then site colon dot edu to just get the university results. Okay, great. Um, and uh. I recommend that too. It's like just just weed out the people who are selling who are selling stuff and and try to look through the rest of the information. Okay. You know, because um, we saw, of course, we say it's awesome. It, it is, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, and it's good to see the research yeah, yeah. too. To like see yeah, the yeah, documentation, yeah. I guess, is the best way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the um, and sometimes you'll see comparisons of different predatory mites that eat spider mites. Um, and you won't necessarily see phalasis in that comparison. It's not as it's not produced by as many insectaries. Okay. Um, as uh, as some of the other ones, like Persimilis is um, P E R S I M I L I S. <laughs> and I, we don't I have to we don't have to spell every one of them but i, I just <laughs> wanted to make sure yeah, yeah. i'm sure everybody's gonna be like uh-huh. wait what was that for spider mites that's like such a yeah, you yeah. know one that's such a big deal in flower production so yeah yeah and phalasis if it's a crop that could get spider mites mm-hmm. the the time to put it, the phalasis on there is uh when it has a couple true leaves okay or when you transplant it Okay. Or right before, you know, like if if you're holding it in the greenhouse for a few days, you can apply it then. Um, and, and as long as you're not like really hosing down the plants, the mites will stay on there. Stay around. So, okay. All right. That's good so to know. A larger, yeah, a larger grower who was using a mechanical transplanter or something, they could apply in the greenhouse and then. And then put it uh, out. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. that would save a lot of labor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the soil mites, you would apply, you know, at planting as well. And that wouldn't necessarily be for immediate benefit, but because some of the spider mites, especially um, something like um, dahlias or celosia, yeah, yeah, somebody who has spider mites that, um, you know, maybe that that mulch is still going to be there next year. So all the spider mites are going to be there. It gives phalasis somewhere to to overwinter. Um, But the stradiolelips will will be active at cooler temperatures as well. And if the ground freezes, it's fine. They just go further down. 
Oh, good to know. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to get a lot of those for my dahlias because that's the thing that really suffered. We had just had such an unusually hot year last year in the summertime, and and they just really, yeah, those spider mites, man, they are no joke. And there's like not really a way yeah. once they've gotten, like you said, the ship sailed. Like they got too far, um, too far ahead of me, and I didn't realize, you know, didn't realize what was happening. Unfortunately, until it was too late. So. And um, you know, if, if if they you do have a little bit of spider mite activity, a tiny bit of webbing, but it's just like a hot spot or two, mm -hmm. persimilis is a really good option there. Okay. Um, but if it's in like the mid upper 80s, you know, it's real hot. Mm -hmm. Biocontrol doesn't have as good of outcome there okay. as it does when the temperatures are milder. Okay. The, numbers are smaller the environment really favors a predator at that point okay whereas when it once it gets real hot and dry it really favors okay the the pest and most years we have the, the beetle stethorus um and those guys can eat phenomenal amounts of spider mite and that could be worth releasing okay um even if you weren't going to be able to harvest the crop okay just to get the numbers down and those do and those do establish pretty well um, the, we won't have any this year. Hopefully we'll have it back next year. Okay. There's only one producer and they won't have any this year. Oh, wow. our farmers, sometimes things just go well and sometimes they don't. And then you're, you know, you're not manufacturing these bugs. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta actually nurture yeah. them and yeah. have a good population. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, yeah, and they have to be healthy. Yeah, yeah, to be able to release yeah. them and send them out into the world, which I'm glad you guys pay mm -hmm. attention to that because I honestly didn't know there was such stringent, which is good. It's good. And it makes total sense <laughs> after you say it, <laughs> but to have such stringent guidelines on their, um, on their rearing essentially. So. So we talked about spider mites, and I'm very excited about uh -huh. that. And I have a lot of other specific questions for you about specific pests. But before we uh -huh. do that, I want to touch on the idea of scouting and how helpful, because oh, yeah. I scout my houses, but I don't uh -huh. scout that much in the field. And that's how the Dahlia situation happened. So for newer growers who aren't familiar with the uh -huh. idea of scouting, can you give a little rundown about how absolutely critical it is and how we could do it and go about paying attention to it? Bearing in mind, oh, yeah. we're usually yeah. like one farmer operations uh -huh. and we can't like, it's not like we got an IPM specialist on, on staff. So yeah, so the the way that that I try to sell scouting um, to people who are are maybe a little um, reluctant to commit some time each week mm -hmm. um, is that it really lowers your anxiety as a grower because then you you are less surprised by mm -hmm. certain outcomes, um, and it gives you more time to maybe put in a real quick crop if like the dahlias are going south fast you know, something like that. Um, but basically you're just checking the crop in a systematic way at a fixed time interval. So the same day each week, um, there are really extensive guides for scouting corn and soybeans and the large acreage crops that tell you like, oh, if you see this many aphids per leaf, then you need to do this. Um, there isn't 
that sort of guide for smaller acreage crops. Um, but, you know, you don't really need it, but you do need to have um, like a jeweler's loop. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, the just a 10x loop. Right. Um, the ones with the lights are nice. I always leave the light on and the batteries burn out and they're almost <laughs> as much as the hand lens. Yeah, so I've never actually had one with a light. I just <laughs> have the basic one that you just like flip yeah. open, the little metal one. Yeah. Yeah, and I, the larger across the lens, the better. Hmm. Um, you look for the the word aplanatic. Aplanatic, that just means, all right. Yeah, so look for that word. That means that like it's not going to be blurry at the edges. Okay. Because, uh, you know, some of the, the lower quality lenses, you look, it's like you're looking through the bottom of a Coke bottle. Yeah, a little pinhole there at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, it makes you crazy and like certainly it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another word, achromatic, and that just means you're not going to see a rainbow around the edge mm. of the lens. Mm. Um, so that's something else that, okay. I mean, those are just little quality things that, you know, can make or break your day. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially if you're going to do this that, every week, you know, yeah. you're going to get out there every week with your hand lens. You want to make sure it's a hand lens that you don't mind holding on to and looking through, basically. Yeah, so it's worth spending $30 on that mm-hmm. for sure. And mm-hmm. they have super fancy ones. I've never even looked through one of those, but yeah, they're, they're really fancy ones that are hundreds of dollars. Oh, wow. I don't think you need you I would need totally to lose that in the middle of my Dahlia patch, basically, and never find it again. <laughs> I have one on my desk somewhere that I yes. actually held on to for six years. So wow. Congratulations. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I know. I don't know how it happened, but um, <laughs> probably because I lost it in the yeah. desk drawer. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that you need that and a clipboard mm. um, and a pen tied to a string tied to the clipboard. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the, the clipboard is nice because you do want to make some notes about about what you saw and numbers of what you saw. Um, and, and not just looking at bugs, but, you know, usually the, you know, one way to start is to, uh, if you're on the edge of the field or just going into the greenhouse, just looking at a big picture view of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any noticeable change in the size or condition of the crop down the row? Because, mm. um, you know, sometimes you do see the like, oh, that irrigation line is clogged mm-hmm. and the last 20% of the row is about dead. Yep. And that happened overnight. Yeah. So, but maybe you could catch that sooner yeah, next time. Definitely. Um, so, you know, leaky irrigation lines, um, which could, um, you know, be more of a problem than just losing the water. Uh, you could actually be encouraging uh, soil borne disease, mm. things like Pythium, Phytophthora, mm-hmm. they like mm-hmm. standing water. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a susceptible crop, that could that could be doom. Um, yeah. So just you know, look at the crop overall, and then um, pick a different path through the greenhouse or field each week, and uh, and just write what you see, hmm. um, and and pick a small number of plants to start from the ground, and look at the stem, bottom of some leaves. Um, if it's a crop that is prone to mites, I'd look at the through the hand lens, even if you don't think you need to, because hmm. uh, um, sometimes you can find the spider mites before you see any damage. Hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes it can vary by variety. Um, some crops, um, some varieties are a lot more tolerant of the of pests than others. Yeah. And th- they can support, you know, several mites per leaf when not showing any damage. Whereas right. like 
wimpy strain number two you get a spider mite and like half the leaf is white <laughs> you know it's an exaggeration but you know there's, yeah. there's variation yeah for sure. yeah and so you do have um, to actually look at the leaves is the point. Like actually don't just be yeah. like, yeah, I, I don't, don't be like standing at full height, looking at a six inch crop at your ankles and be like, nah, I don't see any aphids or I don't see it. And like, oh yeah, everything looks good in here. No, you got to kneel down. You got to actually like hold a leaf, you know, carefully and, and, and kind of handle that plant and look around it and, and give it a close inspection. Yeah. yeah. And don't forget the stem. It's so easy to never mm. look at the stem. Mm. I think power growers probably have them. A lot to their advantage because you are looking yeah. at the stem quality. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the uh, yeah, I have a great picture. Whenever I give a PowerPoint, I try to get it in there somewhere of this nice cherry tree. Mm. I'm pretty sure it's not there. It was near our state capitol here, mm. uh, and on the sidewalk side, it looked fantastic. Um, but if you walk around to the back side of the tree, mm-hmm. there is no bark. It's clearly diseased. Oh my gosh! And, but if you only ever looked at one side, right. you would miss it. And right. that's why you want to take a different path through the, the crop each time. Mm, yeah, that's um, a good point. Definitely, if there's if there was a problem and you did something to address it, you want to make sure you do want to revisit plants right. and hot spots uh, to be sure that what you did actually worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if you were if you were like with the case of dahlias, if you found like a, a little bit of speckling and you did find some some spider mites there, and you released some beneficials a week later you should see a reduction okay. in the spider mites or at least the eggs. Because mm. uh, as long as the number of eggs is going down, the, the population. population isn't going to grow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's where scouting reduces stress because there's less uncertainty about mm-hmm. which direction that ship is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me and tell that, you, so, the- <laughs> so much stress this summer when the dahlias were, the ship was clearly, clearly going. So, um, yeah. yeah. And but, then... If we see something, uh-huh. what do we do? You know, like, I think yeah, that's one thing right. that stops some growers from scouting is just the anxiety of like, well, I, even if I saw it, I don't know what to do. So like, what's... Or, I don't know what it is. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, yeah, what, it I don't I don't know, know how to find yeah. out what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And then everything has really long names. Like, yep. why can't we just call everybody Bob and Steve, like <laughs> Margaret and Jenny? Like, it's really overwhelming. It is. Right? It is. And nobody was born knowing all these names. Mm-hmm. Like I know people like me like rattle them off, but um, like I even learned how to spell them eventually. You know. Yeah. Um. So you, you can do it. Um. There are um some of the like some of the places to start are you know pests. Uh, if you do a Google search pests on dahlias, mm-hmm. and then you add that site colon.edu okay you might find some pictures okay um from from universities uh, the, the extension service um around the country that of that particular pest on your crop um so that you can get an idea for what the damage looks like on your crop um because it doesn't necessarily look the same on on every plant that's that's eaten by that pest um and they and that that helps with the pests that aren't as common like spider mites eat just about anything yeah um, some kind of aphid will eat anything, um, but it's not always the same kind of aphid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, things like fungus gnats, if it's uh, if it's a seedling, yeah, fungus gnat larvae will probably eat it if, right. if you don't do anything to stop it. Yeah. Um, so there are the common pests, and there are some really good websites. Um, UMass Amherst has one. Okay. Um, for um, 
pests on sticky cards. Okay. I think University of Connecticut had one as well. Um, and some of these I also have, there's a resource section on our website and there's, uh, it's a PDF. It's just called Margaret's Useful Critter Links. Mm. Um, and I think if you Google Margaret's Critter Links, it'll come up. Come up oh. <laughs> and it, I really need, and maybe now that I've said it out loud, I actually have to update this thing because some of the links are broken. <laughs> because um, <laughs> right about now <laughs> about like 2,000 people were going trying to download it so <laughs> yeah so, the, so this yeah. is what I'll be doing this week yeah. um, <laughs> no and, pressure um, no pressure there's al- almost all of that is from different researchers working with extension services around okay. the country um and I you know there there's some that you'll see come up more than others uh Cornell University of Florida mm-hmm. uh Kansas um, Raymond Cloyd in Kansas has published a lot of grower actionable information. Mm-hmm. Um, when he had the um, an article about Aureus in one of the cutflower quarterlies, yeah, 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 the ASCFG yep. publication. If you guys aren't members mm-hmm. of the ASCFG already, make sure you join because there's always usually a good bug article in every uh, every edition of the magazine. So yeah. Um, and then also if we're, once we get past the Google phase, whether Google is helpful or not, extension agents can be helpful. Um, should people reach out to you guys, like to a company like Evergreen or another, um, IPM company, or is that like a last resort? Like, do you like it when people are like, yo, Hey, uh, here's a picture of this thing I found, (laughs) you know, what, at what stage should we call you? (laughs) People, people do send us pictures. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and that's fine. The, um, the, the interesting thing is sometimes, um, you know, the picture, something to always keep in the back of your mind is that just because you're seeing a bug next to some damage doesn't mean that the bug did it there you go bingo yeah Yeah. i see newer growers make that mistake a lot where they just you know and a lot of times i've seen growers who aren't super familiar yet and you will learn you guys like don't don't you don't wake up knowing all this stuff. This is just years of observation and culminated knowledge. But I see a lot of newer growers see a beneficial insect next to damage on a crop and immediately assume that insect is bad. And then they're like, how Mm -hmm. can I kill this? And it's like, no, don't kill that. That's your good guy. (laughs) So you have to make sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because usually at some point during each summer, um, you know, early summer when the the ladybugs that have shown up on their own, when that's a different situation than releasing them, they do a great job when they show up on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually get a picture of um, a ladybug pupa that's been bisected, we'll call it, by pruners. Um, and 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 I can, I'm glad that like people are taking action. They're not like mm-hmm. waiting around mm-hmm. for something to mm-hmm. just happen. They're like, oh, I have to kill it. Right. Um, and I'm glad they ask before they go after the rest of them. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Those are ladybugs. Really yeah. um, it does happen for sure. And, yeah. but yeah, everybody, you know, everybody in biocontrol is learning something all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it doesn't um, hurt to ask then. It's okay. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's, it's perfectly understandable if you're just like, I have no idea what to do with this. I need to ask somebody for help. Like a lot of times, like today I was scouting my own greenhouse actually this afternoon before we got on here. Um, and I was just noticing the soil's too wet at the moment. And this wasn't a bug issue. This is more like, I'm pretty sure pythiums maybe get, and this is brand new greenhouse soil space. And I noticed a couple good Isha that are just starting to like look a little like they're will like wilty but the soil's really wet and there was a tiny bit of spore um accumulation at the base of one and I was like oh this could become a problem fast you know and then it's just a process of um even though I've been growing for so long it's still every time you see something like that there's a little a little panic and then it's like okay just think this through get an action plan it's okay and and just move move yeah. forward with knowledge so yeah and, and probably the first thing you thought about is the same thing you think about when you see dahlias like can you change the environment mm-hmm. in some way yep to to favor the organism you want either yeah. the plant and or the beneficial yeah. insect yeah and not favor yeah, the, the pastors used and yeah. yeah, that's the always the first thing to manage is the environment. Yeah, that's what um, I immediately uh, vented the whole house. I was like, okay, there's too much humidity in here. I'm venting the whole house. It was you know in the 40s today, so I just opened up everything and let the air go through, and and it brought the humidity down by about eight degree or eight percent, which you know was a step. And then tomorrow I'll I'll vent bigly again just to to try to you know keep keep ahead of it. Uh, yeah, and then I I removed that plant that had the spores on it just to double check, you know, make sure it didn't spread anywhere. But yeah, it just happens. It just is. But the fact that you see it, if you can see that there was just one plant, you know, and that that because I saw that, hopefully I saved hundreds of plants, you know, in that space. And that's why you got to scout essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah to find the, the the problems early and and to keep a record, mm-hmm. um, so you know what time of year this happened and next year you know it, yeah um, good point if you have time to you know look a month ahead in your notes to what to be on the lookout for mm-hmm. um or like well the, the last three years after on this i think i had spider mites and we look and then you know 20 months later when you actually find all our records then you're like, yeah I, yeah <laughs> I did I did. Actually, we did actually have that <laughs> right <laughs> um, yeah, yeah and, i mean even if they're just kept on clipboards mm-hmm Mm-hmm. You know, six months at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I have yeah. to confess, I don't refer back to my previous years. I should really do that. I mean, I do keep notes, but mostly just to be like, oh, yeah, that looks like it's getting better or, oh, this is getting worse. I yeah. need to be, and but I don't think important. about looking yeah. last year. <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> yeah. So you might tar- start off with like 15 minutes per thousand square feet or something when you're first starting. Um, you, you know, I tell people set a timer. Okay. If you have five minutes, if you don't think you have five minutes, mm-hmm. set a timer for five minutes. Um, make sure you have a clipboard so people know you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, you want to make sure people know you're busy mm-hmm. when you are busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the time where uh, you really don't want to be interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and stick with that. Yeah. Um, and if, if you get through a season, you're finding there's benefits. Then yeah. Um, you know, probably you'll find that you've missed something mm-hmm. and you might need to increase to 10 minutes or something, mm-hmm. but you need to have that, that regular, that regular checking Routine. going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you find a, a pest and, you know, evaluate the environment and then consider like, is, 
like just because you want to do biocontrol doesn't mean it's a good time to start. Okay. Tell us more. Tease tease that part. So (laughs) um, I would always recommend, um, you know, if if there's a crop that's challenging or a certain house that's challenging, Mm -hmm. like maybe it's, um, you know, where you're germinating seeds, maybe that's the challenging location or where you're growing things on before you transplant for the transplants you're not um, buying in. or or just one crop like dahlias, um, just start thinking about what's likely to happen and and, and do preventative releases. So you do like phalases for the the spider mites, mm-hmm. um, and then it, you know for thrips, um, that's a thrips outdoors is a funny one. In, in the greenhouse, there's a critter called cucumeris that does a really good job. Mm-hmm. You can use nematodes. Um, some of the formulations you can spray as well. Um, for thrips, for some of the species of thrips, and they, they, they do a really good job. Um, definitely having things that attract aureus, um, yeah. and you know, making sure to to not spray if you have a lot of aureus. Yeah. Um, and the aureus will be in the flowers. The other the other thing to think about is if um, you know, for the paler dahlias. Maybe row covers are worth the hassle. Yeah. Or just stop growing them. This is my best. This is my <laughs> advice always to growers who are like, I have thrips and blah, blah, blah. I can't like I, I do everything. I have to spray it. I have I shouldn't be mimicking anybody, but like, you know, there's just growers who are trying so darn hard to grow this thing that I'm sorry, thrips are just gonna be on it. Choose a different color. This is what I always say. It's like choose a different color. You can grow all the Lysianthus you want, stop growing dark purple. Because Margaret had so much great information to share, I've split my conversation with her into two parts. This wraps up part one. Tune in next time for part two, where we talk about a few more specific pests and their predators, as well as a natural product Evergreen Growers offers to combat gall. You heard me right, a potential cure for gall. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one. Also, please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it. Reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen. Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Until next time, remember, it all stems from the soil.